Hey everybody, hope you're having a fantastic day. Uh, in today's episode, we're going to be discussing suppress technology, amazing inventions that never made the light of day, and some you may have heard of, and many you have not. Uh, even we were surprised doing the research for this show, how many brilliant inventions, patents were just squashed for various reasons. So we'll also get into the reasons behind all that. There is some conspiracy associated with this topic, but uh, we've got about 20 video clips and imagery to break everything down, make it real digestible, and uh, show you some of the amazing things people have thought of and, uh, you know, whatever happened to it. So it's going to be a great show. Find your comfy chair, get that cup of coffee going, and welcome to Quantum Ladder Podcast. Welcome back to Quantum Ladder Podcast. My name is Louis Borges. Joining me as always, my good friend and co-host, Mr. Marquise Williams. What's up, everybody? Hope you're ready for this talk. This is going to be a great show. I think it this is going to be a great are... show. And uh, thanks, everybody, who's uh, listening to us right now on the world of uh, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the UnX Network. Uh, if you're listening to us on the radio side of the UnX Network, the digital broadcasting, if you want to see the images and videos that we're going to be presenting, just head on over to YouTube. Uh, and on a Sunday night, look up the UnX Network's YouTube channel. Otherwise, you can search Quantum Ladder Podcast and get the full videos to all of our uh, all of our episodes, including Apple Podcasters. Uh, if you're out there listening and you want to see the images, head on over to our YouTube channel. And uh, for everybody else, the video's up. Spotify, we run full video. YouTube, of course, and the UnX Network uh, YouTube channel runs the episode. So now that that's out of the way, suppress technology it is a, a way more of a deep dive than I thought it was going to be. I, I think I underestimated this topic. What are, <laughs> what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's funny you say that because even going over some of the stuff that we both have, um, well, some of the stuff you've got in here, aside from my own, there are literally thousands of technologies that we could talk about. Um, but I think that we picked out some of the most important ones. You guys are all going to probably know some that maybe we didn't mention. Post those in the, in the comment section of the video. Let us know what you guys, um, what you found. Um, if you're obviously on other platforms, just post a comment somewhere. Let us know what technologies we missed or any anything at all that you think we missed or we should have included. Um, it's really good for keep, keeping this conversation more more robust. So, yeah. You know. Yeah. And I'm going to do my best not to jump back and forth too much. Uh, when I did my initial research, there was over since 2016 or as of 2016, I should say, the U.S. government has over 5000 patents that have been acquired and squashed. Never saw mm. the light of day for various reasons, not to mention the other ones that just disappeared along with the inventor in some cases like. You know, and it gets a little bit of a of a, a deep dive and a sort of a rabbit hole when you start going down there. But 
there's clear motivation for certain industries not to have certain inventions see the light of day because it would affect their share. I mean, anything involving free energy is a problem to, to mm. those that are not giving away free energy currently, you know? So it's a, it's a dangerous thing being an inventor and uh, sort of a visionary. Nikola Tesla is probably the most famous one we can think of. And uh, many people know uh, about his brilliance and, you know, some of the things that he invented that did make it into today's world, but there were a lot of things that didn't. Um, so I've got a little clip here regarding uh, the FBI shortly after Tesla's death. Um, and again, if any of these audios on these clips are playing or a little out of sync, our apologies. I can't adjust them in this software. Some of the people posting this content are compressing it, doing things to it. So some might be slightly quieter, some might be slightly louder. Mm -hmm but uh, we've done our best to level everything out as best as we can. So uh, if it's a little loud, yell at TikTok, our apologies in advance. So here we go, FBI, right after the death of Tesla. Less than 18 hours after Tesla's death in 1943, the FBI revealed one of his top secret projects. Quickly, agents went to collect Tesla's papers, over 10,000 designs and notes, and kept them in a super safe government spot. In 2020, when the secrets were not so secret anymore, the FBI let out a bit of this info in a PDF of Tesla's 53-page diary. On page 7, Tesla wrote about an invention he said to keep secret until the year 2300. It's a small device, like a clock with a pendulum that can change the frequency of how things naturally shake. He demonstrated its power by inducing extreme vibratones within a New York skyscraper using resonant frequency, almost causing its total collapse in just 10 minutes. Through this, Tesla theorized that all matter is composed of ambient oscillations that, once synchronized, could destabilize solid entities down to their atomic structure. To keep the world safe from bad guys, Tesla got rid of the machine himself. He figured out that the brain vibrates at 369 hertz and the whole human body at 396 hertz. Even though the FBI tried to hide the vibration speed for the whole Earth and universe, you can still make it out as 963639 hertz. Don't tell people the frequency, man. <laughs> <laughs> you just ask it for trouble. Jeez, but, uh, man. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. Everybody knew. I think the FBI, obviously, they keep their eye on yeah. these type of savants just to make sure that, A, they aren't crazy mad scientists themselves, but also, like, what are they working on? This was also in an era where any advantage in technology is a good thing. There was all kinds of things yeah. emerging, and there was lots that we didn't know and we're looking for solutions to. So just like it is now, you know, we were very well aware that any secret technology is going to go black budget it's going to be classified. It's not going to make it to the light of day. More than likely, it's going to become weaponry before it ever helps humanity. And uh, that's kind of what happened with uh, with Tesla. And I found a few things that um, he invented. They mentioned that earthquake machine. So this is an 1893. So it's a steam-powered oscillator that would vibrate up and down. And uh, basically, he almost blew down the, uh, the New York hotel testing the stupid thing. And uh, police and ambulances arrive, but uh, Tesla told his people to keep quiet and say that it must have been an actual earthquake. Just uh, And then he disposed of the unit after the fact. And uh, yeah, then he also came up with the thought camera. So this is, have you heard of this, Marquise, the thought camera? I, I have heard of this. I actually saw this in a documentary about Tesla. And I mean, it, we're, we're talking black and white, you know, video guys. So this, yeah. this is this is uh, old tech. But we'll, I want to go and I'll expand on it a little bit more once you tell more about this. When you said the brain. Yeah. So he was basically saying that, you know, somehow our brain has to project an image to our retina so that if you mm -hmm. could sort of reflect that image onto an artificial retina, 
you could take a, a capture of that, project it on a screen. In essence, you could show what somebody was thinking. Your thoughts okay. could then be put into the visual. As you see it, you could then project that. And this is an 18, was it 1800 something, 1893. 1893, yeah. That's crazy. Well over yeah. 100 years ago. I mean, the, the, we, there's no denying the brain this person had because, I mean, whose mind in 1893 is even going there? Um, and then to find out that there's a practicality behind that's just amazing. Well, some people speculate that he was an alien, right? He's like a hybrid or uh, a non-human that was set. This is obviously conspiracy, I guess. But some people have speculated he kind of has the intelligence of somebody who's just not human. We we kind of give praise to like people like Elon Musk or you know, some people give praise to Jeff Bezos or Donald Trump for their genius in, in their field. But really, the true geniuses are the ones that are working to make their vision a reality. Those yeah. people are more visionary than they are the engineers behind, you know, the magic that we see. So Tesla was a true genius. He was not only a visionary, but also an engineer and a masterful one at that. So yeah. it, it's it's a completely different kind of human being. It does make you wonder, how does this guy's brain work? I mean, how does it work? You know? Yeah, and I think he even did go on record at one point of saying that he doesn't really think of these things. He they're just kind of in his head. He these yeah. are almost describing downloads of some sort that maybe mm -hmm. he right. did or didn't fully understand, but uh, a lot less effort than we think. I mean, it would take the average human a lifetime to even theorize stuff like that. And for him, mm -hmm. and I think Einstein was very similar. They were um, Stephen Hawking. You know, they just ponder things, and the answers are already there. They just had to put the pieces together. And, you know, begs the question of where did that, where does that come from, right? Can we all access that? Is that what consciousness really is, right? Is it just a, a collection of memories, ideas, and, you know, the knowledge of, of the universe? Is that something we can all access, right? Uh, I think the most famous we know is the wireless energy. His uh, most famous one called Wardenclyffe Tower. So he basically wanted, uh, he developed a way, um, and he got a... Um, a grant from JP Morgan in 1901, or 150 grand. It would be several million by today's standards. But as soon as it became known that this Wardenclyffe Tower was going to generate and transmit electricity wirelessly and free, yeah. JP Morgan was also into the utility companies. He was the richest man in the United States at that time. So he decided to, uh, to squash that. And, you know, that's uh, in recent memory, that's the beginning of this. Hey, even though this is going to benefit humanity, the almighty dollar in politics got in the way and the decision to squash it became the one that everybody went with. Right. And, um, you know, yeah. there's a lot of, uh, a lot of this stuff never saw the light of day. Most of it, in fact, uh, we'll finish up with Tesla. So the artificial tidal wave, that is just scary. So he basically theorized that, um, a wireless, uh, te telegraphy, telegraphy, you could, um, uh, that could detonate high explosives at sea and it would generate tidal waves that are so big they would capsize the entire enemy's fleet. So, I mean, you know, it's a tsunami make, basically. Like, your enemy's coming, hit the button. Yeah. He's a magician. Uh, one is the uh, death beam. Mm -hmm. So on his 28th birthday, he told a New Yorker that he came up with this most important invention. Uh, it could cause millions of armies to drop in their tracks. Um, basically, it would, uh, it, it would accelerate mercury particles at 48 times the speed of sound. And essentially, it's it's a death gun. It's like something out of Star Wars, you know. But again, like with all of his ideas, they weren't just crazy ideas. There was science to back it up. If he had the money and the time, he could build yeah. a prototypes and show people, right? Like, I'm fully convinced that these are not just ideas. These are uh, these were real. And uh, the last one, electric powered supersonic airship, essentially a UFO. 
Mm-hmm. It would run off that wireless electricity that the Wardenclyffe Tower and similar towers, Tesla coils and all that would produce. So you would have wireless flying machines that are on the electrical grid, but the electrical grid is wireless in itself. I mean, that's uh, we don't even have stuff like that now. This was in like 1900. No. But so um, I was I don't know if you watched it, the new um, the new documentary series of a docuseries called um, UFO Revolution. But it so. is um, it just yeah, it just came. I watched the, the first two episodes are available. It's not what you think when, when and I'm only mentioning this because at this point, there's enough information out there to let people know that there's there are technologies that have been out that have been uh, known to the U.S. government specifically for at least 100 years, at least. And this is, of course, not including the, the Tesla, which would or the Tesla technologies, which is even a little bit even uh, more than that, over 100 years. And yet it seems like we kind of get that trickle, the, the little bit of like the little drops that, that are left after the, you know, they've pretty much sucked up all the juices of these technologies. We get a little bit. And none of these technologies are, are revealed, some of, uh, some of them, I think, because there are defense uh, implications, national defense implications. So on the one hand, I understand why these technologies haven't been fully. I mean, you just mentioned about freaking tidal waves and death beams, right? Um, yeah. The idea that they can remotely essentially trigger a, a natural disaster at, at locally, any, anywhere they want to. Um, these can't be known to like the general public. So I kind of understand why there's some secrecy and some suppression with some of these technologies. And it's all. actually it's written into law. It is called the Invention Secrecy Act. Uh, here's a clip uh, explaining what exactly that is. In 1951, the United States started the Invention Secrecy Act. This basically meant that any new invention that the United States deemed as a security threat could be completely hidden from the public. But there's a theory going around that a lot of these inventions may not necessarily be being hidden for our safety and our security, but for the sake of the U.S. economy and the major corporations that will be threatened by the newer and better technology. Some of the speculated technology is the water fuel cell, which would allow a car to be completely fueled by water. Tesla coils, which was supposed to provide free energy to entire cities wirelessly, and anti-gravity technology, which would allow any vehicle to basically free float in the sky and go as fast or slow as it wanted to. Now people could just be reaching, who knows for sure, but what if this is why they don't want us to know how advanced ancient civilizations were? Because if we knew that ancient civilizations had free energy and floating vehicles, we'd want the same thing too, and this would threaten the oil companies and the energy companies. Leave a like and let me know what you think. How how stupid, and I've thought about this before, but how dumb do you have to be to be like, you know what, I can make the world a better place for the entire planet, but I think I'll take the dollar. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I, I'll, I'll die young, I'll die at, at 80, um, you know, decrepit and, and, and burn out, be, because I'd rather that than the whole world, including myself, as a byproduct benefit from it. What kind of person makes decisions like that? I know it sounds kind of crazy, but there has to be a very interesting, you know, mafia-like figures that are that are like, yeah, let's just keep this stuff suppressed. The goods, the, the technologies that are going to help us, the wireless technology or the wireless um, energy technologies, the anti-gravity technologies that have been, there are patents about that, by the way, with anti-gravi- uh, anti-gravity technologies that are mentioned in the patents. So, I Absolutely. mean. Absolutely. And the plot thickens as well when you find out who actually is behind the U.S. Patent Office and that Secrecy Act. Check this out. What's interesting is they also talked about how the U.S. Patent Office stopped accepting applications on certain patents. I wonder why 
they would not accept certain patents. Well, let me explain to you. Because the top executive position was Phillips Petroleum. The petroleum companies are in charge of the patent office? Doesn't that seem a little... I mean, doesn't that seem a little off? Phillips Petroleum is the top executive position of the patent office. So if somebody created a patent which would counter the oil industry, it would get shut down because the oil execs are the ones who are allowing or not allowing the patents. I have to express my frustration with people who listen to some listen information like that, facts like that, um, and they say, oh, there can't possibly be a grand conspiracy because if there were, we'd know about it. Or, yeah. oh, it can't be that way because they, they're, they're interested in their business and they want to grow and hiding these technologies would only stunt their growth. I feel like people who think like that, and if you're one of those people, I don't want to be, I, I'm not, I don't want to be disrespectful. It's good to be challenged, to challenge these conspiracies and these, um, not the, the fact about the patent, who owns the patent companies or the patent process, but I'm talking about the more, you know, the more fringe stuff. I get that. But when you're in complete denial or rejecting what is, at least to most people, clearly evident that there's a suppression of technologies and, and, and many other things as well um, for the sake of, of not just maintaining like a, a normalcy of our civilization, but centralizing power in a way that, that only benefits them and not everybody else. That's all, yeah. It's pretty obvious. I think we all kind of see that. Well, yeah. And I mean, we, some of us have heard of these, some of these, you know, like the water car invention, which we'll cover Stan Meyer. Yeah. But I mean, and we know that these things have happened. We're either unable to do anything about it, or we just kind of chalk it up to like, yeah, well, these sort of things happen. But if you really sit back and think about it, it is flawed right by design. I mean, that was 1951. The example the guy gave where Phillips Petroleum was the head. I'm not sure how it's working now, but at its inception, Petro company was deciding what got a patent and what didn't. So if you went to the patent office with something that didn't, you know, for an engine that ran on water, made its own hydrogen, do you think they're going to grant that patent? And also people were proposing certain patents that maybe weren't replacing oil, but they were things that perhaps the uh, the government already had or was working on or didn't want to be in the filing system. So they were rejecting mm -hmm. that patent for anti-gravitic technology because either A, they were just taking the patent, looking at it, giving it to the government and saying, hey, this is what this guy figured out. And then saying, no, your patent's denied. Or it's just they were already doing something to that effect. And there's yep. no more patents being granted because we're already working on that. You know, they were delaying anybody beating them to the punch because we're already 80 yep. percent there. This guy's got it done. Throw that out because it's going to be our patent when we get there. And where's the 20 percent we can leech from that? You know, I'm sure there was a lot of that that happened. There's no way of knowing, but connect the dots. You see how these companies behave. If that was the structure set up, it's set up to not be fair. So why would we yeah. think there would be anything fair about the process? I think it's I think it's standard operating procedure when it comes to the way civilizations run. We've talked about a lot of things before that have been kind of suppressed or kept from the public, um, not specifically suppressed technologies, but other things. And when you really think about it, another thing you should uh, another aspect that I think about when I think about suppressed technologies is the and I know you're going to go over this, so I'm not going to get deep into this. But the people that have been whose lives have been affected by their by discovering something, um, there are there are clear non non like conspiracy theories that are that are 
pretty disturbing when it comes to people who've created technologies that that are that could have revolutionized civilization, and then they've been affected. But we'll talk about the effects and go deeper into that because I, I know that you're going to cover that. Yeah. And in theory, if, you know, in that last clip or the one before he was talking about, uh, you know, ancients having technology, there's a lot of, of speculation about that, a lot of evidence that certain things were built certain ways, machine marks that we can't explain, you know, building structures out of basalt, which is twice as hard as limestone, you know, like, why would they do that unless it was a piece of cake? So in theory, if this does go back to the ancients, there's been suppressed technology for thousands of years, because it didn't make it to the light of day 900 years ago either. And if we know about it now, it's still not making it to the light of day. So here's Graham Hancock uh, on uh, ancient tech. We're looking at technologies that are not the same as ours. Yes. And that's yes. partly that's why archaeologists can't see them, because they're looking for us in the past. And they're not open to the possibility that there are whole other kinds of technology that could be used. Right. I always go back to the ancient Egyptian traditions that speak of priests chanting as these huge blocks were lifted into the air. Were they using some kind of sound uh, effect some kind of some, some kind of use of sound that was able to manipulate matter. We know that sound can manipulate matter, as a matter of fact. But lifting these blocks is again and again it appears in ancient, ancient Egyptian traditions. The notion that we could lift huge blocks with sound seems absurd to archaeologists, and yet it's there in the traditions of the Egyptologists. And what Randall's talking about now is people who are working on a whole alternative path of technology, and maybe that's a rediscovery of the kind of technologies that were used by a lost civilization. He is a controversial figure, um, but I think that at least listen to what he has to say and decide for yourself, obviously research the research what he says. But I do think that um, a lot of the, the information, his, his documentary on Netflix was fantastic, mm -hmm. uh, but it challenged you know traditional archeology span and what's been thought uh, to be the facts about you know ancient egypt uh, ancient egypt and other other civilizations and yet he just mentioned in there that there are there's written essentially instructions on how they did this this is what we used to do how do you deny what people said they used to do because you because it's just not something we can do today i mean we can't build pyramids but somebody did and if they're telling you how they did it at least in part then why why reject that because because we can't do it today i don't yeah. think that we we you know and he did bring up this, the whole frequency thing. And uh, there was a, a gentleman, I forget where he lived, but he built something called Coral Castle. It was like America's Stonehenge. Mm, that's, yeah, let me. You know, and he basically levitated. Well, nobody saw him build it, but he's moving megalithic stones by himself with simple pulleys and chains. And I mean, there's all kinds of speculation as to what this guy did. Was he using vibration or sound? How does somebody do this as a one man project for fun? when it would take people, you know, decades to do something like that with machinery. And he never told anybody, even I think he took the secret to his grave and uh, no one actually knows. But the frequency thing is a common theme. And uh, there is a frequency manipulation patent, not only for devices, but it mm. would work through like your television, anything that you watch, it could penetrate you that way because it's essentially a waveform. It's a frequency. Mm. And such a patent does exist. And the U.S. government has it. Check it out. Okay, I just found the US patent that proves frequency manipulation can be used to affect our central nervous system. So here's the patent number. Look that up. It's the first thing that comes up in Google. And here's the actual patent. Now I'm going to read from the document verbatim for anyone who's a skeptic or who's interested in this. 
Computer monitors and TV monitors can be made to emit weak low-frequency electromagnetic fields merely by pulsing the intensity of displayed images. Hence, a TV monitor or a computer monitor can be used to manipulate the nervous system of nearby people. The implementations of the invention are adapted to the source of video stream that drives the monitor, be it a computer program, a TV broadcast, a videotape, or a DVD. It has been found that indeed physiological effects can be induced in this manner by very weak electrical fields if they are pulsed with a frequency near one half hertz. The observed effects include ptosis of the eyelids, relaxation, drowsiness, the feeling of pressure at a center spot on the lower edge of the brow, seeing moving patterns of dark purple and greenish yellow with the eyes closed, a tonic smile, a tense feeling in the stomach, sudden loose stool, and sexual excitement, depending on the precise frequency used and the skin area to which the field is applied. Certain monitors can emit electromagnetic field pulses that excite a sensory resonance in a nearby subject through image pulses that are so weak as to be subliminal. This is unfortunate since it's op it opens up a way for mischievous applications of the invention, whereby people are exposed unknowingly to manipulation of their central nervous system for someone else's purpose. Such applications would be unethical and is of course not advocated. It is mentioned here in order to alert the public to the possibility of covert abuse that may occur while being online, watching TV, a video, or a DVD. Do you think this doesn't apply to social media, or to music, or to the movies and television you watch, or to the news broadcasts you watch? Just because they say it shouldn't be doesn't mean it isn't. And now we have these things all over, right? 5G, it's good, it's gonna make things faster. At what cost? So it There's, exists. It exists oh yeah. already. Yeah. yeah. I don't even know where to begin with that. That was a really good, I mean, it kind of opens up a lot of different things. Uh, one thing that I was thinking about when he was talking about these frequencies was binaural beats, which essentially, you know, you know, like holosync or hemisync, the technology that um, they use to help put people in what's called brainwave entrainment, yeah. uh, where they vibrate two frequencies that are slightly different. And the, and the frequency, your brain will essentially make up the, the frequency that's actually meant to be resonated with yeah. when it does that it can put you through different mental states meditation um imagination focus whatever that sounds literally just like that but they can do it with not just sound and they can do it with apparently with light as well flashing lights at a certain frequency uh in front of your eyes can do that that's that's actually quite terrifying that one actually surprised me because although i i do know about similar kinds of uh of things that are being used today and intimately, by the way, I didn't even consider the possibility of it being used for a nefarious purpose. But advertisers are they have I won't say they have no soul. Uh, they have no shame. <laughs> they have no shame. Yeah. So it, it doesn't surprise me when you think about it. And uh, recently there was um, a bit on 60 Minutes talking about DARPA. So I think DARPA is what the defense. Uh, something let's just. Yeah. Yeah, Google I forget. It. We did one on DARPA a little while ago. I forget yeah, yeah. what DARPA stands yeah. for. Defense, defense anyway, it's advanced. like anybody that's coming up with late and great robotics, technology, cool stuff that could be used for military. DARPA has a contest. You could submit them. So we all just think of DARPA as just being kind of like an R&D working on cool military yeah. stuff. Uh, but the gentleman on um, 60 Minutes uh, basically explained that DARPA uh, goes a lot deeper and they own a lot more than we know. So let's take a look. Amazing when you look at the history. So obviously start with the internet. Uh, that's a good thing. <laughs> so DARPA invented the internet. Yes, absolutely true. Wow. Did DARPA invent GPS? Sort of. Um, so we, uh, what we did is we actually got GPS into a small form factor. Uh, so that, that's what DARPA did. So the fact that you can have uh, GPS in your cell phones or things like that was absolutely prompted by DARPA. Okay, did you invent Siri? Yes, Siri came out of my office. But if you were to ask anybody in this country who invented Siri, they'd say Apple. Oh, yeah. 
You know what? I think we should ask Siri who invented Siri. Okay. Do you, do you have your cell phone? I do. Well, let's see what she says. All right, let's see. Siri, who invented you? Like it says on the box, I was designed by Apple in California. Designed? Siri, what if I told you DARPA invented you? What would you say? <laughs> I think different. Apple, they get all the credit. Great. You get none of the credit. That's, that, you know what? That's the best transition in the world. It is? That's okay with DARPA. Oh, yeah. Because Apple had a huge role in inventing Siri as well. It's not like I handed them a finished product. We handed them a bunch of technologies that were very useful, and it was their job to then take that... Well, not useful. Essential. Yes, fair. Essential. But still, uh, they put a huge amount of effort and research into it, and becomes... So together, we make a product. She did great the reporting. Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, yeah. DARPA. Yeah, DARPA. She, I, I like how she pushed, pressed him on that Apple thing. Uh, first of all, the, I mean, Tesla was literally dri driven to madness by Edison, literally. Um, so I think that when we think about uh, like people suppressing technology, or I'm sorry, when we think about people who have essentially giving up, given up or have the, the rights have been taken from them of their technologies. Clear example. Only he seems to be quite gleeful about it. He's just like, yeah, that's great. Apple can have it. They did kind of innovate off of it, but they didn't they create the technology. He did. Um, that's Or, or they have a back it. door into everything that's ever being run or asked of Siri. It's like, yeah, Google. you go ahead. You can go ahead and take that. If you ever get sued, it's on you. But really, we just want all the data that Siri is collecting. It's got to be yeah. a symbiotic. There's no nobody's doing anybody favors in the you know multi billion dollar corporate world. There has to be something in it for everybody. Yeah, Get quick I mean, it doesn't make or... sense. You're gonna be the only guy to go on sixty minutes and be like, no, no, we just yeah. like Apple. You know, they're nice people, so we gave them a nine billion dollar tech. Come on, like, yeah. But the problem is people I believe just... this. We don't ask questions like we should. We don't dig. We just take everything yeah. at face value, and that's why this stuff kind of happens you know and even uh there's i got a clip here talking about the cia's role in black budgets now the cia as we would all think should just be like another department right you've got the military and you know the uh, intelligence community stuff like that everybody gets a budget black budgets are usually in our minds working on like machinery tack new stealth planes things like that so yeah. to hear the cia and their role in the black budget not surprised but I, it's kind of curious to see the connection so let's see what uh what the CIA's got to do with black budgets. Okay, so, so again, we see the CIA getting into the business of providing security and financing for these black budget operations. Okay, now here's a very little known but unbelievably important fact. In when Reagan and Bush got elected, the deal that George H.W. Bush had made was that he would control the National Security Council and Enforcement and Intelligence. He had been the head of the CIA, remember when he became vice president. So we made the head of the secret, but you know, when everybody always says, oh, well, Putin was in charge of the KGB. I said, wait a minute, we made the head of the secret police the president long ago. I mean, this is a pattern. So, so one of his deals was he would control that line, which is unbelievably invisible and very powerful to most taxpayers and citizens. So, so what he did was they passed, they implemented an executive order that would allow them to use all the money in the government, including the black budget money, to pay private contractors to do highly classified work. Okay, 
Now what you're talking about is creating a mechanism that can deliver and can borrow an infinite amount of money globally, okay, and deliver all of that money to private corporations on a non-transparent basis to deal with the most powerful, valuable technology in the world. Now what do you think is going to happen? I feel like this is everybody knows all of you that are, that are watching this. I know you know this information is. I mean, you've heard about this before. You've probably seen something in, the, in a news article or maybe a documentary that talked about um, how these things play out and how they've always played out. I mean, it's that's fantastic. Yeah. That's fantastic. I mean, the system is rigged. So, I mean, go back to that patent office clip, like all the petroleum people. It doesn't matter any of that if the CIA is in charge of everything above everything. Which would yeah. make sense, right? They're the most clandestine, the most yeah. Uh, yeah. able to keep a secret. Um, and in fact, even in military yeah. operations, I've got one here on um, Spy Tech. They actually have a, a name for this department. It's some kind of collection, asset collection or something. But in essence, it's like a military operation, but is not run by the military. It is a CIA. Bit. Now, I don't know if this is like what happened when the uh, Osama bin Laden was taken out. Yeah. We've heard the story. It was a very elite team. One chopper crash, whatever, but that wasn't your average Navy SEAL. Maybe it was. Again, I'm Canadian, so I don't know as much about that, but it was some special group just SEAL, for this, yeah. you know, where you cannot fail. If that goes we're wrong, we're, we're never getting this guy and those guys executed. So there is actually a CIA, um, uh, the, like spy tech in, in the operations of, of things. And this is. This is shedding light on that, so we'll take a look at this. If you ask the United States government, they'd say the Special Collections Service doesn't exist, and that they definitely don't have a heavily guarded 300-acre headquarters near Beltsville, Maryland. Nothing to see here. Codenamed F6, the Special Collections Service is a highly secretive black-budget joint program between the Central Intelligence Agency and National Security Agency. Operating in two to five-man elements, the SCS is primarily responsible for placing super high-tech bugs and eavesdropping equipment in difficult-to-reach places, such as at foreign embassies and installations. In a nutshell, think of some highly skilled and talented personnel sneaking into a denied area to plant listening devices so they can collect information without the enemy ever knowing they were there in the first place. And sometimes they don't even need to sneak in. Some simply work undercover as foreign service officers or under the guise of business people. They've also been known to use a variety of specialized technical equipment and techniques to intercept communications, including satellite intercepts, microwave and cellular intercepts and fiber optic taps. Additionally, Special Collections Service personnel are quite literally the MacGyvers of espionage. They can assemble elaborate listening devices from seemingly normal everyday components, such as an umbrella that expands into a parabolic antenna. And as far back as the 1980s, Special Collections personnel were able to use invisible lasers pointed at windows to decipher conversations by measuring only the vibrations of the glass. What they do is absolutely insane. This is well, James Bond level stuff. Yeah. MacGyver or MacGruber. If you guys haven't seen that movie, watch it, please. Th this is a, a couple things that I, that I was thinking about. Why We mentioned in the last episode, you talked about how Wi-Fi can essentially uh, can like detect people, bodies inside of a home. Yeah. Um, someone can tap into your Wi-Fi and literally see what people are doing in real time through your Wi-Fi. That's that's wild. So although they used to use, you know, the listening, there's no way they haven't come up with far more advanced technologies than that no way oh, yeah. and um and the idea yeah. that like oh we there are other countries that do it but they're but they're not america they're not like oh they're they're not um you know democratic or whatever 
the problem with that is that democracy is is a dream. It's it it's nice to believe in, and I believe in democracy, but we don't actually operate under uh, under a democracy. People who say things like "oh, big government is bad," well, yeah, the CIA has its hand in everything, but keep in mind, corporations are even bigger than the CIA. Corporations are so big, some of them are literally the G, they're they're financially are bigger than countries, and literally all of corporations run everything that we use in in our entire civilization anyway all over the world we live in a corporatocracy we literally live all of us under a corporatocracy so there so the idea that any one um there's there's a communist country here or there it doesn't even matter anymore to be honest all these isms are irrelevant unless you've taken into consideration this corporatocracy yeah absolutely and uh, <clears throat> in the second half of the show we're going to talk about sort of the um the more conspiracy end of things, some of the more well-known people that have the most outlandish claims of what the government actually has, what they're working on, what we've reverse engineered. We've got some clips and stuff like that, but I have some uh, lesser known ones that I thought were fascinating. We could just quickly go through them in terms of inventions that never saw the light of day. So we'll start off uh, quickly here with uh, Stanley Myers' water fuel cell. So, I mean, he was not just some backyard dude making this. He worked on NASA's Gemini space program. So this guy knew what was up, but essentially it could power cars with water. Um, this was the diagram he submitted for patent. Mm. And here's a more simplified breakdown. So it's essentially electrolysis. You're putting electricity through water. It splits the hydrogen and oxygen. And then you have your mm. gas output on top with your uh, with your oxygen. And I think the water level... Um, it, it does something either for... like The current passes through the water, right? So... I know even like water filtration systems work on this principle, but in essence, um, you know, you can buy those like Kangen water machines. They're doing mm, the same thing. Yeah. They are, they're lowering the pH. They're actually hydrogenating the water and they're increasing the amount of hydrogen molecules. It doesn't last forever. It's a temporary thing um, because the stability of the water molecule doesn't want to eventually go back to, to what it was, but that, uh, and I think you told me about this guy a long time ago. Was he not yeah. the one that GM bought the patent and squashed it or is that somebody else well i mean he was he obviously had some legal issues with uh with ohio court um they called his inventions fraudulent and tried to ruin him and then right. in 98 he just died and his death was quite sudden yeah so the the issue that people were claiming also scientists the scientific community was claiming that it was a violation of the law of conservation of energy and so even because they couldn't demonstrate it themselves without his patents or maybe they just never were allowed to because after he passed, guess what happened? His inventions, his pat, everything was patented and taken over by, I believe, the FBI or CIA, whatever. Um, yeah. So essentially, whatever, there was still an intelligence agency of some kind took that technology and patented it and suppressed it. They yeah. took it off. So they now, same thing, same thing as Tesla, yeah, right? But why do that? And this is a, this is what people should be asking themselves: Why do that if it's a if it's fraudulent? It's not real, so who cares? Exactly. Hmm. Yeah, why would I you mean, steal somebody's yeah. gibberish? You got nothing better <laughs> to do. And if you get caught stealing somebody's non-useful crap, you reveal to the world that hey, you have a program to go and collect people's stuff and do exactly what you did to Tesla and yeah. I'm sure many other inventors. Like, why would you risk having your cover blown on something that has no value whatsoever? It just doesn't make sense. And I mean, there's so been a lot of crazy inventions and again yeah. everything is borderline crazy until it works and then it's yeah. the solution it's no longer crazy so it's easy to kind of cast doubt on patenting 
or, you know, crazy inventions, mad scientists. Some people have made some ridiculous things. This one here was invented by a man named Wilhelm Reich, and it's called the uh, Organ Accumulator. So basically, mm -hmm. he believed that Organ was uh, sort of this, um, the universal source of sexual energy. <laughs> and if you could accumulate Organ in your body using one of these machines or... I don't know. It looks like a tin box of some sort, but he believed mm -hmm. that you could collect enough of this within your body as a libido and, you know, see, could, thereby heal yourself with the magic of <laughs> sexual energy. So that didn't make it probably because it doesn't work. But uh, there's a lot of ones um, that, that are very fascinating. This one here, um, this is actually a clipping out of a medical science journal that doctors would read. So the gentleman's name was Royal Raymond Reif. He came up with uh, um, a theory of frequency healing. So and this was in the 1920s. Mm -hmm. and basically, it involved sending low amounts of energy in the form of electromagnetic waves right through cancerous cells. So, um, you know, it would treat cancer, other diseases, and essentially it would be used to emit low energy waves that would oppose the electric energy generated by the machine. So therefore, um, so anyway, he made those claims. They said there was no research, um, you know, to back it up, and it was not then FDA approved, even though he was doing it. And there was a whole program of people going through that, essentially back to that frequency. We vibrate on frequency. Everything is frequency. If you can find a way to manipulate that, you know, even in a bad way, yeah. like we see that the government may be doing through TV screens or movies or social media, but you can also utilize this in a good way to selectively target diseases, cancers, whatever, and affect them at their own vibrational frequency, right? Yeah, but again, I, I believe, I believe he was known for like was it tumors or cancer? He was yeah. known for being able to literally get rid of it in people's yes. body through these frequencies. Yeah. So it was it was because again I saw like documentaries. I used to be a documentary buff like crazy, um, but I I'm almost certain he had he had he had in one of those documentaries. They talked about how he had cured a, a couple of people's cancer or tumors. He got rid of it. He got rid of it. So through sound and frequency, which is if that's possible, it was a weird, it was a weird little box or whatever. Then why are we not seeing anything even in the, in any, even remotely close to that today? Yeah. Probably because it's suppressed. Yeah. And I mean, you talked about you know, industry and corporations being sort of the big bad monster. I can't really think of too many more big bad monsters than big pharma. So, mm. you know, even in the twenties, there was still a pharmaceutical business, right? There was the world of snake yeah, oil yeah, and everybody yeah. trying to get rich because this was a booming and, you know, a booming thing. And people were not so smart, right? You could manipulate people. Nobody really knew for sure. So there was a lot of stuff that was crap and a lot of the stuff that was good didn't make it to the light of day, whether intentional or not. But either way, it's that we don't have a frequency machine that kills cancer today. So what happened to this guy's machine? Where's the definitive proof that, look, we tried it. We try to make it work. It simply doesn't work. Instead, it disappears off the face of the earth. And you never hear it again. That yeah. in itself is what makes it, you know, kind of fishy. Um, there's been a few other just in terms of technology, not necessarily a machine or a, a device, but the idea of cold fusion. So this would be a nuclear reaction that would work at room temperature. So as you know, nuclear fission and, you know, uh, reactors melt down because of the vast amounts of heat that are produced in that process. Um, yep. This person, I believe, was Eugene Malov, um, and he theorized that you could have cold fusion because it's the same thing that, um, you know, uh, basically it exists. There's a theoretical model that would allow um, that to happen, right? And here's the diagram of it. Again, I'm not a uh, scientist, so 
I mean, this I is don't know. Great. Yeah. That don't and know you don't know if this device actually worked, but I think yeah. it's very rare that people invent stuff and take it to patent unless you can demonstrate that it actually works. I mean, is that not part of the patenting process that you can't just patent garbage? You have to have a reasonable diagram or a prototype or something to show yeah. that this is real to not waste everybody's time or or take a patent away from somebody <clears throat> who would develop the proper technology. Now they can't because you have a, a patent on a machine that doesn't work. I made one that works, but I can't patent it because you got one for the dummy version, right? So I'm sure there's, yeah. again, I don't work for the patent office. I don't know, but I'm well, sure there is some contingency in this thing has to have some legs or we're not going to even talk, you know? I refer back to some of our earlier episodes, ladies and gentlemen, but the, the guy who, the CEO who was responsible for driving up the price of insulin by 5,000%. Um, was, uh, I can't remember his name, but he, you know, the, the crazy thing about that is a person like him essentially could get away, can do something like that and do it legally. Um, which essentially is, is it's not necessarily suppression, but if you were to take that same thinking, there are people that do this for medicine, apply it to something like technologies or engineering. Why are we not at least again, considering that this is, this is obviously stuff that's been kept from us because they don't want us to, they don't want the world to benefit from it. Um, yeah. It's not just about military. It's not just about military application. It's also about bettering humankind. They don't yeah. want that. Whoever they are, these these organizations and in, in people, um, they are the they. I hate to say they because it makes it sound really conspiratorial, but I think you understand my point. The point is that these people, um, there there's something different about them, you know, with their intentions. Something very different. Yeah. And this next one here, uh, I couldn't believe. This is a prototype from a gentleman named Paul Pantone. He named it the Geet Engine. And essentially, this thing um, would run on virtually any liquid, even urine. You could turn urine into usable fuel somehow through this mm. GEET engine. <laughs> and uh, he got entangled in a state investigation that yeah. ultimately landed him in the mental institution. Mm, so how does like? How do you get sued by the state for doing something wrong? Next thing you know, they're like, wow, we don't even think this guy is fit to be out in the rest of the population with regular people. He's totally lost it. Wound up in a mental ward, whether he lost it or not. It's coincidental that this guy invents an engine that'll run on pee. And we have a lot of pee in the world, you know, that wouldn't cost as much. You could feel your own car, right? Oh, man. Well, I don't it doesn't have to be pee, but it, it you know, I work run on pee. I I worked at the treatment plan and I thought, man, this I is thought you were going to say, if you used your pee for stuff like this before. I used to sell bottles for Speaking on of pee, I got a story. <laughs> I got an OnlyFans. I, you know, no, just, just, no, definitely not. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Anyway, um, the crazy thing about that that is that he is not the only person that has had legal issues. I mean, we mentioned earlier, um, he's not the only person who's had legal issues from either the state, the government, the federally or some intelligence agency these kinds of things have happened plenty of times before and it's un it's crazy that it's it's allowed to happen it's really weird that we have us you know a court system or a legal system or whatever that allows these things to happen um because it's supposed to be for the people apparently for the people but yeah it's not it's for something else yeah absolutely uh, another one here this was actually uh, discussed in our good friend nick cook's book uh, the hunt for zero point um, this is Thomas Townsend's Thomas Townsend Brown uh, and his invention, which would be an electrogravitic device. 
there is something levitating over a looks like a wine gobbler or something a goblet something like that essentially uh and i don't know the exact date 1928 this guy uh invented this anti he called it the gravitator that was his machine but yeah. basically doing research on the electrical effects on anti-gravity can you make things float by giving them some kind of a, a charge or a current and that comes to mind like what technology would you know that we see in the sky or some people see in the sky you know it doesn't defy it doesn't work with regular physics right so if anti-gravity exists that gives yeah. a lot of credence to people saying they're seeing machinery flying around the skies that doesn't have you know control surfaces heat sound all that type of stuff and this goes back to the early 20s where people were working on uh, anti-gravity and he's not the only one as well um i just thought that uh, he's he's probably one of the more uh, famous ones in terms of what he's done here and then yeah. uh next one i got is uh, have you by the way have you heard of any of this anti-gravitic stuff from the 20s I, I have heard i have heard of him um i don't i, I mean again only from documentaries i know that he's yeah, done T. T. experiments the Eagles yeah. by T.T. Brown, that's, I guess, to abbreviate his name, so it's not so long. But if you're searching for Thomas Townsend Brown, you only get so much. But if you just type in T.T. Brown, you get quite a bit. So, Yeah, he has, he's known for something called like the, the Brown Effect. The I don't know. There's a, there's a specific name for what he's uh, – for a, 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 a gravitational anomaly or, or phenomena – and I think they call, they called it the Brown effect, the something Brown effect. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, he wasn't just working on this. He's uh, no, he was, yeah, person. he was doing a lot of. Yeah, yeah, he had lots of stuff there. And another guy here, uh, his name was Victor Schauberger. They call this guy the Water Wizard. So he basically believed in rejuvenation mm -hmm. through whirlpools, mm -hmm. and his theory was basically that you, if you see, um, you know, uh, flowing water, it's never stagnant. But if you put water in a barrel and leave it for a week, it'll grow algae mm -hmm. and bacteria and everything else. So he believed that this spiral, again, back to our Fibonacci, and you can see that snail shell, that our, our previous episode on Fibonacci and golden ratio. But he believed that the spiral was the rejuvenating force and that if you ran water through certain devices, you could uh, you could clear up you know, anything that was in the water. You could effectively condition that water, you know, heal yourself with that water. Yeah. And uh, his research gets a little deeper even into uh, machines like this, which we will talk about in the second half. It's about to get interesting in half number two, folks. So grab uh, another coffee, and uh, I guess we'll see everybody back here in five minutes' time.
And we are back with the second half of Quantum Hunter Podcast, Suppressed Technology, Inventions That Never Made the Light of Day. There's a whole list. As I said, Marquis, I found 5,000 patents the U.S. government sitting, yeah. sitting on, not doing anything with. Um, and then there's been stories of people. Just think of all the stories that we don't know of. All the times yeah. that the government did a real good job and those people are literally erased one way or another, off erased, paid off, identity change, who knows? I mean, you can be as conspiracy theorist or theory as you want on all this type of stuff, but um, I think we would not be doing this topic justice if we didn't discuss probably the most controversial whistleblower the planet has ever seen. And yeah. we'll get started with the story of our friend, Mr. Bob Lazar. It was... Uh... A very sleek, thin-looking, uh, flying saucer-shaped craft. There were nine total. Uh, I only got to essentially work, back engineer, or analyze one of the craft. It's very plain. It's all one solid color, uh, a, a grayish pewter color, the same color as the outside of the craft. Yeah, there are no sharp corners anywhere. Every device in the craft, the seat, uh, the amplifier housings, everything has a rounded corner on it, almost as if it was all fashioned out of wax and then slightly melted so everything curved, even where the ceiling meets the floor on the end. Everything has a, a curve to it. Um, very, very plain, very wide open, uh, very impractical use of space. And there are three levels. The lower level, um, houses the amplifiers themselves that swing the three of them the center level is where you enter the craft where the seats and the amplifiers are and the uh, top level is a small area and i did not have access to that so i don't know what's up there absolutely alien craft there's no question about it well first of all the scope of the project was to back engineer it if they were united states craft we wouldn't be going backward trying to find out how they were built if we had built them uh, second of all, the size of uh, the equipment inside, the size of the seats, the uh, materials that were in use, completely alien to us, pardon the pun, and uh, you know the fuel, element 115, essentially non-existent. Uh, all these factors together, uh, and of course the briefing information stating that they were alien craft. You know, First of all, I believe Bob was hard. Um, just going to put that out there right now. But now we have people like David Grush and I mean, even firsthand witnesses like Ryan Graves and Commander David Fravor, um, who have been who've essentially come forward and said, hey, not only are these things like like out there, uh, we've seen them. And in the case of David Grush, he knows what uh, somewhat 40 people that have worked on these technologies, including, you know, even as it just like Lazar said about the briefing, even actual non-human intelligences or whatever you want to call them nowadays, this is probably the biggest, that would be the biggest secret, biggest kept suppressed technology ever. Um, the ability to manipulate time and space. There was a, there was in that documentary I was talking about today called the UFO um, revolution. They mentioned someone who seen, uh, and Jacques Vallée mentioned this before as well. They were working on a craft that was about 40 feet or so, whatever, whatever the feet, uh, whatever the, size it was i think it was like 40 feet wide and inside it was massive like a football field yeah. you saw the same yeah so the uh, this is technology if this is true it's technology that doesn't just like do something you know amazing like produce its own energy it also 
is able to manipulate our sense of of like space and time, which is it's crazy. But there's also yeah, the time dilation that's been alleged to be involved in going yeah. inside of those craft as well. So, I mean, the implications are not just one thing. It's not like I invented a new way to replace gasoline. If these exotic yeah. craft exist and we didn't make them, there's the questions of like, you know, what is this thing? How does it work? And then how can it behave and do what it does? And then the big elephant in the room, who the hell could make something like this that advanced and the material science needed? Like, it is just like an onion. The layers yeah. just keep going. It becomes a fractal. The more you go, the more there is to go. Yeah. You think mm -hmm. you're making ground and you're not. And I mean, we both come from previous shows that were specifically in the UFO realm. Mm -hmm. My previous experience was trying to take a scientific look at it, actually speak to scientists of if this is real, how would it work? Is there a chance? Is it all made up? I didn't want to just go with the... Uh, we all see lights in the sky. No, no. Like, what is the science that we know? Could there be a chance? And a lot of these people, even like, you know, Dr. Gary Nolan, these guys in Avi Loeb, yeah. they're staking yeah. their professional reputations as the head of science at Harvard and, you know, the head of science at Stanford and one of the top cancer researchers on the planet. Why would you even go there? Sure, have yeah. a side hobby. Have some people you talk to off the, you know, off the record. Do like, kind of like Jacques Vallée, where you know more, yeah. but you say less. So why... Unless it's something you like really strongly believe in for either the benefit or, hey, there's a problem. We need to be concerned about this. Either whatever his motivation is, we don't know. But why would you risk your professional reputation, your six-figure or your job, all your future book deals, movies, all that stuff, and your credibility as a cancer researcher? That yeah. is first and foremost in the academia and science world. If your credibility is gone... Nobody cares about your research because you're deemed to be an idiot and nobody wants yeah. to hear what you have to say. So that is your your golden goose egg that you don't mess with. Why would they do that if there wasn't something there? And same thing with Bob Lazar. You know, when he yeah. first came out, he was cloaked. George Knapp brought him to the uh, to the forefront. And at Bob's own request, he's like, I need to show my face because now if something happens to me. Yeah. Nobody's even going to know. So, you know, and he mentioned that the scope of the project was, in fact, we have craft. We know they didn't come from here. Based on the dimensions, we know little creatures, we think, sat in them. Uh, and we're reverse engineering them to see if we can do the same. And uh, here's, I believe this is on Joe Rogan. Uh, Bob Lazar talking about that reverse engineering uh, program that he, he worked for. This project was to back engineer the alien craft. And specifically, it was to try and back engineer and see if we can duplicate the technology with available materials. Now to do this, they split the project into you know, many different pieces for several reasons. They, they do this on all classified projects, so uh, nobody has the complete story, but uh, they compartmentalize everything. Now we had the power and propulsion system. So what the briefings they gave me were like a one or two page overview of some of the other projects that were going on you know, on the craft. The only reason they do that is just in case what you're working on is connected intimately in some way that we don't know of to one of the other projects. You have to know their, <clears throat> excuse me, their existence. The topic think, gives me a brain gasm every time I hear, like, just, I love this. I love that topic a lot, man. You know, it's the, very near and dear he to my heart. He described the hand scanner. Cause let, let's be honest, without Bob Lazar, the world doesn't know anything about Area 51 or S4. Right? right, he put those things on the map. Said they exist before they existed. Said these crafts ran on element one fifteen, which did not exist at the time. Okay, you right. could theorize that 
you know, so many numbers up the periodic table, eventually somebody's going to develop that, right? But it may not have the properties to work as right. a good fuel in a nuclear Specific. reactor. You don't, and he you don't described like the reactor. It's like a bat, like a half a basketball, just this uh -huh. little dome. And uh, I think he even said in subsequent interviews from years ago that <laughs> one of the scientists in the project working with him was actually killed trying to like pry the thing open with a screwdriver and it killed the yeah. guy, right? And I, I've got a clip actually on this reactor. It's only 40 seconds, but I think it'll, it'll add better to hear it from Bob than us try to yeah. regurgitate his words. What point in time did you say, hey, this is not normal work? Like, this doesn't even seem like it's from this planet. Was in the demonstration of the reactor working where it caught my attention to where this is technology that doesn't even exist. What was it? This was a small reactor about the size of a hemisphere, about the size of a basketball. And when it was running, it produced a gravitational field, a gravitational field of its own. Now, this is something that we can't do. We can't produce any gravity. We can't make a gravitational field. Anyway, this device was producing that. The stuff is borderline magic. I've said that so many times before. It's, it is borderline magic because it's doing things that shouldn't, shouldn't be possible. I mean, we say that it's breaking the laws of physics, but of course, I do agree with some scientists who say now that like, we just don't know. This is physics we just don't know yet yeah. because it's happening. Someone is doing it. Somebody is. I always ask the question, though, and, and I honestly, this, this really kind of blows my mind thinking about it. Not only did someone make these, but they don't exist in our civilization. Think about what it takes to build the best piece of technology here. Millions, billions of dollars to, to do something, and to create many, something. many people. Many, many people, sometimes long periods of time, and we can't even touch a, 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 a only one aspect of what these things can do. Yet someone's doing all of it, and they're only leaving a, a little bit here. There's only a little bit that we've even seen, which means there's, a, there's somebody out there, a civilization, a collective of people, or whatever they are, um, of intelligences that's doing this, and that we're only seeing a piece of what they can do. It'd be like somebody finding a cell phone on the beach and be like, wow, who built this? Do you have any idea what civilization is like aside from that one cell phone? There is a lot more than that. There must be even more th than what in comparison to a cell phone in our civilization right. to them than, than, than us by far. Yeah, we I just mean, found their keys. We don't know what their house looks like. Like, right? what is this thing? You know, like, what is this to? Yeah. Uh, and and it, what does this button do? And you're dead, you know, because you. And Bob is a, I think it's a, I don't know if it's a 50-50 split. A lot of people emphatically do not believe Bob Lazar. Yeah. And yeah. for reasons of, well, you can't find his records. There's no proof he ever worked there. He lied about the schools he went to. He was involved in some criminality, whatever. He was raided by the FBI. Yeah. And so for many years, the only thing we had from Bob was his story and his descriptions of things. Then Element 115 is discovered. Was it called Microscopium? I think that's um, what it is. I don't let, let me. It could be while, wrong. While anyway, it, it's yeah. it, it's it gets discovered, and then he was also referencing things like what the building looked like, where it was located. S four, they had this crazy hand scanner, and again, there was no proof, no way to corroborate any of this. And then I believe it was Jeremy Corbell. He found a picture of this hand scanner. And that Bob had been describing all along, it existed, and it's not your typical hand scanner. And uh, we'll take a look. 
you were telling people since 1989 that there was some sort of hand scanner. There was like a bone scanner, and you tried to describe it. You said you think it took measurements of the bone. There were these pegs. You put your hand on it. It's a small plate with some pins on it that you could put between your fingers. There's a bright light above it. The interesting thing is when you walk into the facility or even to leave, they have a, a hand reader. I was told that it has to do something where it measures the the bright light measures the bones in your finger. They're unique to each person. It sounds like something out of a TV show, but it it it's exactly the way it is. Man, I looked for that kind of thing all over the internet, never found anything. And then all of a sudden, this article comes out and it says that at the, the Nellis Range for the they were talking about the stealth program. There was indeed this hand scanner that was used in these secret programs, and they just admitted or announced it publicly. And there were some photos, and I just was interested. And so, I never thought I'd see one of these again. <laughs> But I tried to explain this to people so many times, and they either didn't believe me or say, "Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there is." And there it is. It's like a biometric thing for the hands. Yeah. The beginnings of yeah. I mean, it wasn't all that advanced back then, but yeah, that's it. I can't believe you found a picture of this. I really can't. This was the scanner used to get in to S4, and I tried to explain this to people so many times that there was pins in. You stuck your hand, a light above, and it supposedly measured the length of the bones in your hand. That you know is unique in each individual. Exactly, exactly how it was. Yeah, that's amazing. It's amazing you came up with these. It's amazing to see this again. Back then, this was the hot ticket. What does it feel like when these little things that you said become public, and there's this tiny bit of vindication? It is. There's little moments of vindication. You know, little pieces here and there that you know, little I told you so's. You know. Pop up every couple of years or so, but this is a big one. Um, so a lot of people said these didn't exist, and um, you know, it was some just fanciful thing I came up with. But th yeah, this is exactly it. You know, you know, I used to debate people about like things like that, where there have been there have been moments in history, recently even. Where information documents the government's come forward and, and, and openly admitted to having, you know, um, at least witnessed and tracked and, and on their on their radar systems and so forth these these types of um, phenomena, and I used to I used to love debating people about that, but at some point when it, when all the evidence starts coming out and I'm thinking about Balbazar and I kind of I feel terrible for him, I mean the, the man risked everything yes by necessity at first. But afterwards, he didn't have to. Once people knew who he was, he could have just disappeared. Yeah. People had to drag him out, kicking and screaming, to bring this stuff to talk about this stuff again, especially later on. Like lately, um, I, I believe one time Jeremy Corbell said that he asked Bob Lazar to come to come to the to the uh, hearing on UAP whenever uh, uh, David Grush and Ryan Graves were there, and he's like, he said essentially, "F no." Like, are you kidding me? Look how people treated me. Yeah. Why would I do that? And then whenever it was all done. The, I, I believe, at least for myself and people that lo love, you know, love what he's done and, and appreciate his his, uh, his what he's done. We 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 felt like him putting out a big picture where he said or the video where he says, I told you so. That was a moment for all of us.
Yeah. And honestly, it, it really is a big deal. This that was a big deal. Bob was always a man. Bob was always yeah. a man. And I mean, you know, in his defense of what he says, like, hey, nobody could find your records. Where did you work? He did produce a pay stub from the company he worked for, EG. Right? And I just about and fell out of my book. chair. This was late last night, 11:30 at night. I'm watching a documentary. It was on the um the atomic bomb and the first three, you know, first was mm. Trinity, then it was Hiroshima and mm. Nagasaki. Yep. Even though the bomb worked they still didn't really understand why it worked. And it was a challenge. I mean, when they, they, when they filmed Trinity, they used 52 cameras, all with different exposures, because they felt it would be so bright, they wouldn't be able to get a proper picture. So 52 cameras, all with different settings, and only four of those cameras produced usable images. But even that didn't really give them uh, much. So they wanted to, um, you know, do a, a bigger test, and they started doing these in the, in the Pacific, right? And um, so they needed people that they could trust with something as top secret as photographing our atomic bomb and giving us the details of how that works, what the high speed. And um, there was three um, geniuses from MIT, Harold Edgerton, Kenneth Germeshausen, and Herbert Greer. They were involved with, uh, they created what was called the Rapatronic camera, two million or two millisecond frames. Um, so basically the highest high speed photography that existed at the time. And mm. that was sort of necessary. And I later come to find out Edgerton, Germishausen and Greer is E G and G. No. What was the name of the company that Bob Lazar supposedly worked for reverse engineering craft? No way. E G and G E G and G. No way. Now this in the forties when E G and G formed and they're, they're photographing the nuclear bomb top secret for the government. If a craft happened to land in Roswell in, let's say, I don't know, 1947, who, who are they going to get to be involved in that program? The most bright, you know, reverse engineering people. Essentially, they're trying to reverse engineer the bomb with pictures to see how that would work. You know, could you control that scale up or down? So if, you know, Lazar's correct and they're sitting on craft that date back to that amount of time and the company he worked for was EG&G, how does that not make perfect sense? They were trusted in the 40s to work on the nuclear program for the government, exclusively those three guys. And why would they just get rid of it? Where did they go? So we all just take it loosely. Oh, yeah, he worked for some company, EG&G, at a pay stub. Look into who EG&G actually is. They are the original OGs for the government. Yeah, the top secret stuff. So yeah. does it make sense? They would still have a firm 50 years later? Absolutely. How, how old is, you know, Lockheed Skunk Works? These things go back to war times. These companies don't just spring up and are given the keys to the palace. But EG&G is a legitimate company that was tasked with photographing the first nuclear bomb. And I was like preparing for this show, watching this documentary because I'm a nerd and I like this. Yeah, and they yeah. read these names and they're like, yeah, Edgerton, Germishausen and Greer later formed the company EG&G. I just about fell out of my chair because that's further proof. Because I've never asked myself the question, well, who the hell is EG&G? We all just, yeah. you know, assume, well, you can't trust his meta his uh, school records. That's who he said he worked for. Who the hell are they? They are real and they are have always been top secret in their work. So for you, me, just one more validation. I do believe Bob Lazar. I don't think there, he's benefited nothing from this. He's made no money. His no. business has been uh, hurt. The FBI has raided him. He's been laughed at and made the, you know, he got a divorce as a result of working on the initial program. Like his life was screwed up inexplicably because of this. And mm -hmm. to your point, when they're like, hey, Bob, why don't you come in and testify? 
F no, I've been there, done that. <laughs> that gave me nothing no. good, only bad, not doing it. Now, I know he's making a film now. It's the first time he's spoken quite a while. but It's uh, time. It's time. I, I believe that that info was meant to find me last night just for this That's, episode. But look up EG&G if you have any doubts that they're actually legit. And look at what they were doing in the 40s. You uh, Synchronicity. Synchronicities. Yeah. Um, which yeah. we believe in here. We believe in synchronicities here. Um, but also Bob Lazar's, his phone number was in, I'm sorry, he was in the phone book. Um, whenever, when he was working, when he was working at S4, he was in the phone book. Yeah. So the fact that, you know, the idea that, oh, he was, his records were erased. Come on guys, please. Can somebody please use common sense? And another, like if you're working on a secret, you know, black budget program, it's beyond top secrets, beyond the nuclear, you know, nuclear, you know, uh, technology and all that. Then why would something like erasing someone's educational records be so unbelievable to you you've got it you've got to be you know you've got it you, what is it what do they say you got to be deeper than i, I can't remember that how the saying goes but don't be shallow don't think so shallow about yeah. how the, about these things and another yeah. thing is you know the trinity site by the way was was one of the first was even before 1947 ufo crash the trinity site in 1945 they were experiencing according to jacques valet and his investigation and research there were there were a, not just like reports of craft, like lights in the sky, but literal beings, actual yeah. non-human intelligences that were strange looking and so forth. Um, and he investigated that that uh, that situation as well. Just not as known. I don't know why it wasn't. It's not as known, but that happened as well. But but again, like if you dig a little bit, if you just dig now, that thing that you found last night, that E G and G, that's a that's a gold. I mean, you found yeah. A diamond, dude. I don't know how you you got lucky again. Just by accident, like literally. It's yeah. uh, I think it's called the Age of the Atomic Bomb or something. It's a series on the yeah. Smithsonian, and this was the mm. the first episode of it. But I just couldn't believe it. And you know, it's all in the same area, like the Trinity test site and like Los Alamos and yeah. all that. Yeah. And like these guys were were doing photography at Trinity. If something crashed there. Who the hell do you think they would get involved to try to you know? It would be the the biggest and brightest minds. And just because these guys were into photography, that was just the task they were given. It's like, hey, we need to videotape or film the bomb. So put your photography hat on, invent a new camera that's never been invented. These are the same type of savant thinkers that you could say, what the hell is this thing we just found in the desert? Put on your reconstructive caps and figure out how it works. It's that same industrious brain that you would need. It makes total sense that these guys are not only in the area, they're doing their work in the area of these crashes in the same decade mm -hmm. of these crashes. And 50 years later, you got a guy as a whistleblower saying, yeah, I've been working on reverse engineering them. And I work for a company called EG&G that nobody's ever heard of. They are the real deal. So I think it's just more like Bob said, every couple of years, yeah. some more snippets come out. This yeah. is uh, this is legit. So I don't want to spend all day on Bob Lazar because this is about Sorry, it's, totally it's, suppressed it's technology. It. But the biggest suppression suppression of technology would in fact be we have craft they're not ours we're trying to figure them out maybe we have and we have our own and there are non-human intelligences capable of making these things that perform in ways we can't understand not to mention what happens when people have experiences missing time you know um something like we said earlier some of these craft look like they're 30 feet wide you go in it's like a football stadium mm -hmm. if you're manipulating space and time it may be the type of thing we cannot reverse engineer. If it's from a civilization that has a 10,000 year head start, a million, 10 million years, it would literally be 
like you couldn't discern it. It would look like magic. You would not be able to decipher it from a, a trick, you know? So it is, uh, it is the big, bad, uh, the, the sort of the Holy grail of technology if it exists, but there have been other things and other people have theorized this. This was uh, Victor Schauberger. Um, mm-hmm. and he basically theorized that you could make, um, you could make a UFO. He actually came up with a blueprint. That's his blueprint for it there. And I'm trying to see the dates of this. I, I don't know if this predates the forties or when this was, but essentially people were, were theorizing anti-gravitic craft and yeah, there is such a thing and yeah. it can be done. Um, another one I've got here. Let's see if we got anything on materials. Okay. So there's this stuff called starlight. So starlight uh, basically was a material. It, it was composed of both organic and non-organic, but it could withstand temperatures of around a thousand degrees. And um, so this was Maurice Ward was the gentleman who invented it. But basically, uh, you know, it could be used for aerospace and defense. Um, it never reached its widespread commercial use. After he passed, the formula was not publicly shared. And the remains of that stuff or how to make it, nobody knows. It's gone. So, again, maybe the yeah. government confiscated this, similar to Tesla. Maybe they're using it in their own stealth or aerospace craft. But, you know, uh, somebody that's that brilliant that can invent a compound, that it basically looks like black moss. Uh, I saw another picture of it laid out. But thousand degree heat Celsius, so that's yeah. I don't know what that is in, in Fahrenheit, but um, a thousand that, degrees. I can't remember. Thousand degrees. Let's, yeah, let's find out. It was called Starlight. Uh, While you're looking that up, I'm going to bring up another one here. Uh, this is Bruce De Palma's N machine. So that's N machine. Basically, he claimed it was a free energy I device. I remember this. Yeah, I remember this guy. Yeah, I remember this guy. It was. Uh, it was also suppressed. There it is. There. Yeah, there was a he was literally ridiculed by his colleagues, even yeah. though he could he did experiments and produce results for this. He was supposed to he was like scheduled to be to to show this off and use it. And then something happened and they essentially the college that he was working for essentially um, gave him a lot of probably like a lot of resistance to pushback. Um, they, right. they, I think they I think they ruined his career. So, and he was even working with Michael Faraday. We've heard of like Faraday cages, magnetically shielded yeah, yeah. cages. Yeah. So essentially this is, this motor works on just a rotating magnet. It's like a magnet and a drum. It looks like it's set up to like an old school washing machine motor or something. But um, this runs at over a hundred percent efficiency, meaning that it produces more energy than it takes. So you look at like gasoline you put in gasoline into your car and you burn it, you're only getting what, maybe 60, 70% efficiency, even with like exhaust gas recirculations and technologies like that to kind of boost fuel economy, lighter materials. We're still not getting anywhere near, I think natural gas is like 90% efficient. So, Mm. I mean, this thing would run at like 120% efficient, essentially making free energy. Mm. And, um, you know, that's crazy. And this is again, old stuff. This is nothing new. Just, I just want to say this is why last episode I was like, oh, so these guys, these guys in Japan who discovered this new technology or this, you know, fusion technology, they're like, oh, you know, it's not real. And oh, they're they're frauds. Well, I was a little skeptical because all the people that we've talked about, some of which we haven't even mentioned whose careers have been ruined um, there. There was legal action against some of some of the people we talked about. Obviously, we know about Tesla and how he was run out of run into madness by Edison. It's it's not like this this hasn't been done before. 
And so let's not forget about the history of all these different technologies. And again, there's thousands of them, as Louis mentioned before. It is a common practice to suppress through either intimidation, through threats, through sometimes accidental fires in someone's laboratory in their home, which we, you know, um, which or where the blueprints were stored. Somehow there was a fire. There's a fire. Oh, you know. Um, after being offered money by the FBI for the technology. Okay, so just an, it just must be a coincidence. Um, we know that this is common procedure. Again, common practice, standard procedure is to it for suppression. Sometimes the fear, of, the fear of retaliation is enough to keep people quiet too, um, other than just actual you know, acts of violence or threats. Yeah. Yeah, and in terms of energy and things running at super high efficiency, this is a very old patent for a carburetor uh, from Charles Pogue carburetor that would get you 200 miles per gallon, mm-hmm. 200 yeah. MPG out yeah. of your car. Yeah. And basically it was using what was called a gasoline vapor carburetor. So instead of spraying liquid gasoline into your engine, it was warming it into like a steam and then burning that steam and then recirculating the exhaust with any unburnt fumes back through it again for basically you're using all of it. You're not putting any unused, unburnt fuel out the tailpipe, 200 miles per gallon. And as of recently, they are still trying to make this into something. Um, I, I don't know how it, maybe this was just a concept and never got to actual prototype, but essentially at the bottom there, you've got that pool of gas, little heater coils in it. Uh, it mixes with warm air. And so now you have this vaporized mix that gets burned. I mean, a fuel injector is essentially atomizing, kind of like a hairspray mister. It's atomizing your fuel, mixing it with oxygen, and then you're getting your spark. But this is removing the liquid droplet, and now you're just running at a vapor level. So one drop of gas produces a heck of a lot more vapor. So ultimately, this is about efficiency. And so the hot air is rooted in, the gas is heated, the vapors are created, the vapors are burned. And then any unburnt fuel gets recycled back through the same process until the end product is clean and 200 miles per gallon. And we're all trying to go electric cars that produce 15 tons of CO2 carbon for every one ton of lithium. How does this make sense? We're trying to find technologies, you know, to save the planet, renewable energies. We have them here already. First of all, don't forget that Elon Musk is trying to escape Earth. <laughs> yes. He's trying to go to Mars. Yeah. Hey, listen, if you think he, th- he would, if he had a hope, he wouldn't be trying to leave this planet. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I'm just saying, guys, electric car is not the way to, to, um, to this new, you know, this new, whatever new form of technology we need to be sustainable or whatever. It's not through, it's not through, it needs something much more radical than electric technology. And people are now swaying and saying, yeah, well, that's true. Electric isn't the way. Maybe we go hydrogen. We're trying to figure out ways to produce hydrogen. Again, been done decades ago, and here's proof. And by putting electrodes and salt into simple well water. Gas comes out of your water. Hydrogen gas, which Lorenzen mass produces in this device. Since John's 1981 pickup was converted to run on gasoline and hydrogen, his mileage has doubled, 40 miles per. For years now, when they've been in the neighborhood, experts in the energy field have been dropping in on John's farm. They come from all over. <laughs> I'm gonna have to lock the gate pretty soon. <laughs> well, John Lorenzen is a very clever fellow. The things that he's doing are actually well known and many other people could do it. It's just a matter of society deciding it wants to go this route.
All right, let me let me just so okay, so don't take this. I'm not ageist, okay? I'm not. Salt and well water, bro. Little electricity, boom, hydrogen. Well, somebody somebody needs to tell GM that someone's grandfather, uh, who's somebody's former grandfather, developed a better uh, a better uh, engine than they could. Uh, this multi billion dollar companies that can't build it, they can't do you know build a proper engine in terms of fuel efficiency. But some random farmer grandpa is doing it. Come on, ladies and gentlemen, they're messing up. This guy's literally one. I don't want. He's he's old, all right, and he's still producing and engineering better technology than freaking Elon Musk and General Motors and Toyota or what whoever's making these electric cars. He's doing. He, he's done better. And that was an old video. That's not a recent video. That's not a two thousand no. you know twenty video. Ladies and gentlemen, this stuff's been known for a long time, and yet here we are still you know talking about. Uh, oh, this is going to run over uh, if you if you mix it with the with our hybrid technology, you can go 80 miles to the gallon or now it's I think it's like 50 miles or say like 50 or 60 miles with a Prius you can get. Yeah, I think today they could do so much better than that in the 70s. Yes. yes. But, you know, whatever. I mean, here but that are. would mean you'd have to burn less gas and then the price of oil would be affected uh, and people would make less you money, know. Uh, so. you know. And I, okay, well, just to go back to the whole reverse engineering of UFOs, that seems like it's the most difficult thing, the least probable thing. How the hell are we going to make something like that? Well, take a look at the WASP jet. This mm. is old as well. WASP jet. Why was a functionable, movable aircraft that can move in any direction, hovered, pivot, and accelerate up to 60 miles per hour, abandoned in the 1980s? It could stop midair and hover, accelerate from its stopped position. To most people, this type of technology would seem inconceivable or even alien in origin. Nonetheless, it would revolutionize the travel industry. Imagine traveling to work, avoiding traffic completely. It can go as high as 10,000 feet and can operate as long as 30 minutes before having to refuel. And this was back in the 1980s. Imagine the improvements on the longevity had research continued on this vehicle. So why then was research stopped and nothing else was heard of it. Very few people know this existed. Research on the subject reveals that the US government said it was cost insufficient and inferior to the helicopter. Utterly ridiculous, most would think, but very few people know about it. It's known as the WASP X-Jet, Williams Aerial Space Platform, or Flying Pulpit. It is controlled simply by shifting your body weight in the direction of your desired intent. Yet it is inferior to a helicopter? Very confused here. This makes you wonder what other technologies were suppressed, like the water-fueled car that runs on water alone. There's a book and a documentary about that. It's called the exact same thing, the Avricar. This is the Avricar, um, Canada's first, uh, Canada's flying saucer. This is it. The crazy thing about this, I heard, I remember reading about this a long time ago. This is the old man. This is stuff that I read about when I was a teenager. Um, and, and the documentary I saw was in 2000 and I think it was 2003, I think it was. So, so the, the, the funny thing about this is you got the, you, you hear, you heard that there is opposition or claims that the technology was inefficient, which is why they didn't go with it. I don't believe that for one second. I, yeah. I mean, I just, I don't. The fact that it was admitted that it works that at least it works. Well, that means that we've had this kind of technology for quite some time, admittedly. And yet all we hear about today, again, is the electric car. You mentioned Avro. Many Canadians know the story of the Avro Aero, 
which is basically a fighter jet that outperformed any other fighter jet on the planet. And for whatever reason, whether it was because Canada couldn't have a, a superior plane to America, you know, political pressures, whatever happened, they shut down the program and stopped building altogether. Just basically yeah. disassembled. We're all, you know, we're all done. Nobody has a job anymore. Go away. But yet they wow. built one of the greatest aircraft and the numbers and performance characteristics of that beat anything else on the market at the time. So if you're interested in that, real life example is the Avro Aero. Uh, take a look. It's not the first time that pressures have been put on foreign countries and their technology to maintain that advantage of you know being the world's superpower. So by any means necessary, this thing has been happening for decades. It continues to happen. It's not showing any signs of uh, of going away. And um, you know, you look at companies like um, Lockheed Martin, stuff like that. The people that are doing these type of tests, and we've all seen that video from like the 40s or 50s, where like the first attempt at a UFO. It's this clumsy round thing. It goes yeah, like and a it's foot like off wobbling, the ground, and you know, they're like, yeah, yeah like... we tried, but this is the best we got. <laughs> what about the Wasp jet? I mean, that wasn't the same time. I get it, but you know, we're we're meant to be um, meant to believe that. This doesn't exist. It's a crazy thought. Look, we tried. Look how dumb it is. It's impossible. What you're seeing isn't really what you're seeing. But if a guy can invent that with, you know, a civilian's budget, what can yeah. black budget that can funnel funds without any congressional Billions, oversight? Yeah. What can they do with real money? Like, we got to open our eyes a little bit here. And uh, in fact, this guy, I don't know his name, but he worked for the advanced system division at Lockheed. And after being retired for 10 years, he uh, wanted to share a little bit about what it was like working uh, in this program. So take a look. I've been retired now for 10 years. He says, before I retired, I was in the advanced systems division of Lockheed Martin. And we were dealing with something we called modified field propulsion. A variable field, he said. Of course, he began to lose me immediately. I didn't regret his talk what he was talking about. Matter-antimatter conversion. Exotic field tension. Wormhole. He said it will modify time and space, and he says we have had transluminal flight for over 30 years. And I had to stop again, and I says, hold it. Transluminal, hyperluminal flight. I says, you're talking about faster than light, for God's sake. He said, yeah, we've had it now for 30 years. Now, this is from David Froning, who'd spent, you know, biggest chunk of his life as an advanced systems engineer for Lockheed Martin. And then we get the material from uh, Ben Rich. And somebody said to Rich, he said, Ben, what the hell are you really talking about? He goes to the blackboard. His Big dinner for retirement, I think, was one of the major hangers over there. Blackboard, he goes up and he writes, uh, unfunded opportunities. They say, what the hell are you talking about? He takes the chalk and he circles U, F, and O. And then he left the stage and walked out the door and they're all thinking, good God, what this man's lost it here. Unfunded opportunities, U, F, O. What he was inferring and saying literally in their face, yes, we have reverse engineered technology from alien craft.
and we're flying it and it works and we can take E.T. home. Now, one of the reasons I get so ticked off, you have to forgive me here, I'm getting old. I don't have the patience I used to have. The rumor has been going around that I've turned out to be a, you know, a mean, rotten old fart. Cynical, you know, grumpy. Well, that's not entirely true. I like to think, as Henry Higgins said, that I have the milk of human kindness by the quart in every vein. But I can't really pull it off. I guess I am getting kind of grumpy in my old age. Guys, I'm getting angry. I really am getting angrier every day when I think about the con job that's being pulled on you and 300 million other Americans on a daily basis where they are literally conning you to the point they're taking you to the cleaners, they're stealing you blind, and then they're lying to you about it. And many people just accept the, the general yeah. status quo of, of these, um, you know, the, the crazy thing about what he just said, and everybody, anybody who's into UFOs knows who he is. If Richard Dolan said uh, recently on a, on the podcast, on the Jeremy Corbell podcast that, I'm sorry, Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp, let's be respect here, um, that he doesn't know if we've been traveling the cosmos using non-human craft or these alien craft or whatever, um, but he no longer like rejects the idea that it might we might have been yeah. i rejected the idea that we've we've been able to whether it be back engineer or operate these craft up until i started hearing about things like you know, alessandro came out and kind of on twitter you know just like low-key dropped a, a a pretty powerful uh i don't want to say accusation but a revelation about the the idea that people have been put into these programs with nasa or these space programs as children and essentially their memories are wiped and they don't remember. They don't remember what they what they went through. And it may be tied to, at least it implies, the idea that kids have been used for some kind of secret space program involved with UFOs. There are people that claim on uh, Gaia, and I don't believe this at all, that they traveled the cosmos and fought alien reptilian civilizations and somehow they survived. I'm not going to go with that one. I can't imagine that they would take a couple of, a couple hundred, you know, I don't know, black budget soldiers to a planet and we're fighting next to aliens. To, that just sounds ridiculous. But I wonder if it's just a way to say, yeah, cover up the fact that we really have been traveling the cosmos with someone yeah. else's technology. I don't know, but I would not be surprised if that was the case. Yeah. And we've both interviewed Jim Goodall. He's a close personal friend of both yep. Bob Lazar and formerly Ben Rich. And so you can hear these people's accounts. But when you talk to somebody on an intimate level, off camera and on, and they tell you these anecdotal stories of, yeah, one time I was hanging out with this guy and this is what happened. Like stuff they can't say or aren't willing to say on the air. Yeah. But when yeah. you're in this world, speaking to these people, you just get a different understanding. You just know when some people are BS lying, right? Like some people are very good. They're con men. But when you have numbers yeah. and volumes of people and it's not hearsay i heard a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy it's like no i was there in the room with him and this was said like whoa and we're kind of getting a lot of this now with david grush and all this stuff saying it's real you know the government's been lying to you everything we mm -hmm. thought it was it is and more and i mean mm -hmm. this is just par for the course but again as content creators who spent a couple of years in that field 
doing our best to get the goods. And I've interviewed the likes of George Knapp and Jacques Vallée and Gary Nolan and Richard Dolan and Colin Kelleher, like every big name person except Elizondo. By the time I uh, uh, yeah. got around to yeah. Elizondo, he already done 900 podcasts. I'm like, what am I going to ask the guy? He hasn't already been asked, but full yeah. respect to the man. But you just gain a different understanding. You go from thinking to kind of knowing, and you can't really explain why you kind of know. Maybe you just get in the field so long you get blinders on. But I've been a through and through skeptic and I was wanting to have somebody debunk it. And the more scientists look at it and the deeper dives they go, not only is there more credence there, but they start finding out that it's a lot more complicated than we think. It's not just flying objects you yeah. know, we're talking about. And again, too, propulsion is a big thing. When you see these things and Lou, Lou Elizondo talks about the five observables, you know, no control surfaces, no heat no uh no thrust no sonic boom yeah. stuff like that yeah, yeah propulsion uh, and anti-gravitic technology is a big thing that would be necessary for that well a guy named roger shawyer invented something called the em drive basically to take microwave uh microwave particles and it's bigger at one end and smaller at the other but essentially it's not supposed to work if this works it completely defies the laws of physics because this is technically not supposed to work that you can get thrust out of bouncing around microwaves, right? Because it's supposed to be every action is an equal and opposite reaction. Well, mm -hmm. this would give you the reaction without the first action, right? There is no action of just generating the microwaves. To produce a thrust out of that, the forces don't line up. So if that works, it literally, the, the laws of thermodynamics as we know them break down. And many of the things we believe about physics would break down as well. So there are prototypes for stuff like this. And I'm sure the government's patent on something like that uh, is a lot more complicated than we think. It's a lot more than this. But this was, again, this was Victor Schauberger's. Very similar to what Bob Lazar said. Your propulsion and your amplifiers are in the bottom. They have baffle plates that control that thrust. And then you have an inhabitant, you know, a cockpit. And essentially creates that wormhole. If you look at the diagram on the right there. It's basically a spiral. It's creating uh, warp yeah. in time and space. Yeah. That's how these things can travel faster than speed of light. Apparently, we've had it for over 30 years and probably longer because that clip that we just saw looks like it's a 20-year-old clip. So when Ben Rich did say we now have the tech to take E.T. back home, you yeah. got to give that some credence, right? Well, remember Bob Lazar. He, he get, and you guys, you, you got to look up some of the stuff we're talking about, all of it, if you if you have the time. But... Some of it's really interesting. The further you get into it, the more creepy it gets. Bob Lazar described the, not that we're traveling, like you're thinking about propulsion where we use jet fuel and fire, and then we just like push ourselves through space, yeah. right? Whereas what happens with, according to Bob Lazar, with these UFOs, is they're literally falling through space and time. They're like falling through it. They're falling. An they're being pulled. Yeah, yeah. Versus being propelled forward. And they're not, and of course, the whole example of, bending a piece of paper poking a hole through it and you're traveling through that versus traveling really really fast you're just like popping in and out of one place of space time and another and so it may look like at least to the to the observer that you're traveling at you know breakneck speed so to speak but in reality or super reality or hyper reality you're traveling like from one point of space time to another instantaneously without any of these resistances um, or the need for flight services and so forth, or any kind of other propulsion. We don't, according to the the experts, we can't do that, but yet it's being done. Yeah. So who's doing it? If if NASA says we can't do that and it can't be, 
then who's doing it? If Neil deGrasse Tyson says, oh, there are misidentifications because it's not possible for things to fly that fast. Well, somebody is. We're Look, we're seeing it. So obviously the idea that that it's not possible is is ridiculous because it's being observed. Yeah. So and, and it's yeah, been described. It's, it's one know. thing to not believe, but when people categorically throw it away, you're basically insulting every single experiencer <laughs> that has ever had something happen to them saying, you're crazy. You don't know what you saw. And I've done over 200 interviews with experts, experiencers. And the overwhelming thing that I got, I've never seen alien life. I have mm. seen some things I would deem to be UAP. One in particular was definitely, but I've never actually seen crap or um, uh, aliens, right? But I, I have some belief because of how these people tell the story. They're not crazy. They don't really care. And they're not looking for my acceptance or anybody else who's listening to the story. They know what they saw. This is my story. Same with Bob. He doesn't care if you believe him or not. This is what happened. I was there. Believe me, don't believe me. I could care less. I just want to get it off my chest and share it. And that's an overwhelming commonality between experiencers or people that are whistleblowers now, people like, you know, even in the professional academia world, guys like Gary Nolan, Avi Loeb, just saying, somebody needs to talk about this. Lou Elizondo is a good example of that, saying, I know what I know. I can't tell you all of what I know because of the programs I worked in. I don't want to go to jail or commit treason, which has a higher punishment than first degree murder. So they really yeah. can't tell you, but they're doing their best to leave you know, like Ben Rich circling those letters, UFO, they're doing yeah. what they can to give you the breadcrumbs. But if nobody takes that and runs with it, that isn't working under classified programs, it's never going to get anywhere. And I wholeheartedly believe yeah. uh, there is. Um, and I try to find, uh, you know, UFO tech. Do we have any materials that are UFO-esque? I mean, the rumor of uh, fiber optic cables coming out of the Roswell crash. Right. Vel Velcro, um, I guess. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, according to the who knows? But I found this stuff called nitinol. And uh, I got a little clip here on it. So this is basically UFO tech in the form of something called nitinol. This device right here has sent me down the deepest rabbit hole. And that's because this is a source of free energy that has a very mysterious history and could be linked to UFOs. But for several years now, a small group of scientists here has been investigating a strange new space age metal, a nickel titanium alloy called nitinol. In cold water, nitinol turns soft, bend it and it stays bent, but in hot water it springs back with forces as high as 55 tons a square inch. No one knows quite why this happens. Several years ago, McDonnell Douglas began experimenting with nitinol in the form of springs. At room temperature, the nitinol wire springs bend easily, but in warm water they spring back, thus forcing the wheel around. Even stranger, nitinol wires get stronger the more they're used. They develop a double memory. They not only contract in the warm water, but they begin to stretch of their own accord in the cool water. Nitinol can be trained. And then there's this document that was written from the Battelle Memorial Institute to the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio in 1949. And of course, the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base is known for allegedly storing the crash UFO that happened in Roswell in 1947, which was just two years before this contract was written. And in this document, they're talking about the different alloys that they're testing, and they're giving a progress report on those tests. And at this time, nitinol went by a different name. And a lot of the serious UFO researchers believe that the Battelle Memorial Institute was the organization that was given the contract to examine and test all the metals that were retrieved from the Roswell crash. 
And one more interesting thing about Battelle is that they are the same organization that invented coding and metals that were used on spy planes that were then later used on the U-2 and the SR-71. I've never heard of Night Note. That is awesome. It's I've pretty never cool, heard man. of it. It gets stronger yeah. the more it's used. It gets a yeah. memory. It can propel a wheel so you can make a motor out of the thing. But I mean, just think of something that could be like, okay, you're in space. If you have something that's, you have extreme cold and you may have something that's producing heat, you have a metal that can work in both of those simultaneously. You could create yeah. an engine out of that. And who knows what that looks like when a given perpetual. proper time, money, yeah. Yeah. you know? Perpetual engines are a thing that I, I used to, investigate that a long time ago um but they are possible according to some scientists the problem is that when you have the general scientific community saying it's against the laws of you know conservation of energy and so forth yeah you you, you don't get it in the general consensus is to reject and push back against any of these technologies even to look at them they won't even look at them some of these science some of the, the general scientific community that's a problem because now we're essentially hindering our our, our progress because you can't either monetize it or win a Nobel Prize, which That's is right. why I give a lot of kudos to people like Gary Nolan and, and other scientists who've come forward and and finally come forward and talk. Diana Pasolka and Jacques Vallée, people that have come forward for in, with credentials and reputation, and they're like, "Hey, listen, I'm I'm I know for sure there's more going on here. I'm work. I'm going to investigate and spend my time and energy looking into it, and then telling you about it. That's it. That's a big deal to me. These people are real heroes." So yeah. for humanity. And a lot of that is happening in the science world where people are going, well, the metric we have to measure this, whatever it is, doesn't fall within it. Therefore, it can't be that. Like Avi Loeb's got a lot of pushback on trying to yeah, find love you. bits of metals. And all the people that study asteroids are just saying, well, it can't be what you think it is because it doesn't, our computer model doesn't recognize it as an asteroid. So because some human wrote a program that doesn't encompass this weird, strange phenomenon, which how would you program that into the program if you don't even know it exists? But because the mm -hmm. program doesn't say it is what you say it is, we're throwing the whole thing out. It's hard to, it, you almost think, are these people just paid to try to cast dough? Yeah. Are, are, they, are they like trolls in the science world that get their funding to try to kick rocks at other people's work? You know, like Neil deGrasse Tyson, I respect That's, the man. He's a brilliant yeah, mind, good storyteller. Yeah. Yeah. I just can't talk about UFOs or God with the man because no. I'm going to punch him in the face. You know, like you have to have more of an open mind. If you're a scientist, you can't just categorically dismiss something. But that's just my opinion. He, he is bigger than both of us, you know, so I don't think I don't yeah, think I do it's a good understand. idea. But, uh, we can take him, bro. <laughs> together, <laughs> together, maybe. <laughs> you, you, you face him, I'll get behind him. You know, grab the legs, I'll grab the arms. <laughs> yeah. We need a third. <laughs> oh my God, we're talking about. Before we close out here, I got one more thing I thought was super cool. This is called red oh mercury. This stuff is magnetic and it is repelled by garlic. I know that sounds crazy, yeah. but this is red mercury. This stuff actually exists. Red mercury has no reflection when placed in front of a mirror. So the magnet I, is pulling yeah. it and the, the yeah. clove of garlic, garlic was moving it away and it doesn't reflect in the mirror. Essentially, could you make something cloak? Like, could you be invisible with stuff like that? I mean, it's what the hell yeah, is red? Is, it's not even on the periodic table. So what is it? Clearly, 
it's some type of an alloy mix, mercury base, just because it's liquid at room temperature. But yeah, strange, strange. So the point of this whole episode is that these technologies exist. Many as interesting have been suppressed, have been wiped off the face of the earth. Patents have been bought and squashed because it may not be beneficial to those who want to keep status quo. Keep us on the petrodollar. Keep consuming fossil fuels. Anybody talking about giving away free energy is going to have a problem. And we've seen this over and over again throughout time. There are numerous examples. We could have done a five-hour long show on this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you have one or two things, it's a coincidence. When you have dozens and dozens and dozens and stories and proof and ways to back up people's account, even if there is a 20% error, even a 50% error, hell, even if 90% of it's all bullshit, 10% yeah. is still enough to make your mind go, whoa, what is going on? Even if 10% yeah, if, of the alien story is true, it's still true, right? I mean, even if one story is true, exactly, then it's all true. Right. And that's, that's if actually it happens that's one time, that's enough. Once, yeah. but it's happened many more. So just on yeah. a final note, I do want to say, ladies and gentlemen, I don't want to fight Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> we'd we love to have him on the show. He'll probably <laughs> never come on the show, but we'd love to have him. We had Lawrence Krauss, and he's buddies with Neil deGrasse. So we've had people yeah. as big as him uh, in our yeah. interviewing careers. You never know. Definitely yeah. won't what, be to talk about aliens. It'll be to talk about science, astronomy, astronomy or something. Like or something yeah. Yeah. There's some, he's, he's very good. I would love to hear just his storytelling again. It, it's I really respect it. I, I want to try to emulate that in some way or at least take a little bit of it and adapt it to my own personality uh, because I really respect and love the way he does storytelling. So Yeah, for sure. So with that, thank you, everybody who has been tuning in. Uh, again, we are on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcast, and the Unex Network, uh, both radio and video. Anybody who's listening audio only, if you do want to see the full imagery and uh, all of our videos, uh, head to YouTube or Spotify, uh, search for Quantum Matter Podcast, and everything will pop up. And also join us on Thursday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern in the chat room, uh, brand new episode every week as well as our Quantum Club, where we produce another unreleased episode. And uh, for all the members of our Quantum Club, we're going to see you in a few minutes now. We've got some more stuff to uh, discuss that we don't want to put out there due to censorship on this particular platform. But um, yeah, we'll call it a day for now. Thank you, Marquise. Love working with you, buddy. And uh, thank you to everybody for taking uh, an interest in these topics and for giving us the overwhelming support that you have. Leave us your comments. If you haven't yet subscribed, please do. And if this is your cup of tea, give us a thumbs up. We appreciate that. So with that, on behalf of myself, Louis Borges, Marquise Williams, take care of each other, and we'll see you next time.